0: Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. If I have not the, the joy to meet you, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church of Bartlett. I have the joy to open up God's word this afternoon. Would you open your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1. As you're opening there, um, I'd love to just take a minute, and I want to express my sincere gratitude to a group of people who are here this afternoon. You are the people who actually don't want to be here. And I'm not joking. With all sincerity, you... Your presence is a wonderful gift to somebody in your life. They said, please come to church with me. Um, For some of you, you might be kids. Many of you are adults, and you don't believe. You don't want to be here. In fact, you'd rather be doing anything else. But I just want to say, I'm truly grateful that you came this afternoon. My desire is to honor you, to open up God's word, to encourage you. And for the rest of us, my aim is to point us to our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, here's what it says. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. So let's just take a moment. I want to share with you the main characters of this story. And what I want to ask you to do is if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have trusted in Christ, um, I want you to ask yourself which one of these characters best represents you before you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, before the day you came to Jesus and you believed that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead, which one of these characters best describes you? For those of you who are here and you have yet to believe in Jesus, you just don't believe, um, which one of these characters actually best describes you? And, and this is going to be a very historically, statistically reliable statement. 97.3% of people can be summarized in these three characters. That's a lie. I didn't really measure that. But I find in my conversations, most people... Are represented that I get to interact with who don 't believe in Jesus well by one of these characters here 's the first character, King Herod at its core, King Herod sees Jesus as an inconvenience and an impostor. You could just say this: Herod is antagonistic to Jesus. The text actually says that the very thought or idea that a Messiah uh, might be born troubles him deeply. Now, I want you to imagine with me um, you have the Uh, privilege to eavesdrop uh, between King Herod and his personal psychologist. Now, King Herod's vulnerable. He's being honest. He's sharing his heart. There's nobody he has to impress. And his psychologist says, King, why does this baby make you so upset? I think he might say something like this. Because the baby is a threat to my agenda, to my plans, to my expectations, to my script. At the core, he is antagonistic to Jesus because Jesus is a threat to himself and his ambitions and his ideas and to his authority. At the end of the day, Jesus is a threat to him. Now, I have found in most of my conversations um, with unbelievers that actually many, many people Um, are very troubled by the idea of Jesus because if he really is God in the flesh, that is a threat to our status quo, to our life, to our future. If Jesus truly is the Son of God, born as a baby, grown up to be a man, died a on the cross, was raised again from the dead. If this is really a true story, then the implications for your life and my life are massive. And Jesus, I promise you this, will become a great inconvenience to your agendas and to your life and all of the plans that you've set. He just has a way of kind of getting in the middle of everything and messing it all up. That's what he does, and he loves it because he wants what is best for you. He wants your life. He wants your joy. He wants your righteousness. He wants you to thrive, and that's only found in his way. And so he's more than happy to interrupt our lives and to bring us into a life that is much more full and rich. But many people can identify this. They see Jesus as an inconvenience and, quite frankly, an imposter. I mean, if you were to have a conversation with Herod and say, would you even consider the idea that Jesus, this baby, might be God in the flesh? I have a hunch he would just write it off as it's not even possible. Now, there's a second group of people that will represent our second character, and this would be the chief priest's the scribes and then honestly all of Jerusalem and this is a group of people that are very religious but let's be honest when it comes to some of the more miraculous things they're pretty they're pretty skeptical now you would think of all the people in the world would you not think that the the chief priests and the scribes these are the keepers of God's word that they would be pumped up that the messiah the prophecies of the messiah might be fulfilled you think so, but they're not. In fact, the text says that they also are pretty deeply troubled by this news. Now, here's the deal. I think there are a lot of people probably in this room who fall into this category. You might call yourself Christian. It's a culture. It's a set of traditions. It's a set of rituals. Uh, it's something you do certain times of the month or the year, but it doesn't really have like, a pretty dynamic and profound impact on your daily life. Uh, this is very common in America. There are a whole bunch of people who think they're okay with God because they have religion. They have a set of rules, a set of rites, a set of rituals. Uh, you go back just even a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, and you read uh, the writings of King David. We'll use Psalm 23 as an example. Uh, you, the Lord is what? My shepherd. The personal nature David, when you read his Psalms, doesn't speak of God as some distant being that he doesn't know personally. David speaks of God as if he knows him personally, like a close friend, like a father. But somehow this idea of a personal relationship with God by the time the first century came, when they hear this idea that somehow maybe God in the flesh is breaking forth, that there might even be a Messiah, they're just troubled. Because their entire lives have been devoted to ritual, to tradition, to culture. For many of them, their faith is not something deeply personal. It is something that is more a part of their cultural heritage. And you would think that the chief priests and the scribes, they'd be above this, but they're not. And this shows you some of the religious and cultural context that Jesus was born into. The Jewish people were not excited that their Messiah could possibly be born and that the prophecies might be being fulfilled, which is totally surprising to me. But I think there's a handful of people in this room, if I were to ask you, do you have a personal relationship with God, you would say, I don't honestly, if I'm going to be real honest I don't think I do because my relationship with God is bound up in religion, rituals, and rites, and that's probably the extent of it. Now, there's a third, there's a third um, set of people here that I want to draw your attention to. We're going to spend most of our time uh, this afternoon focusing on the wise men. I think the best way to describe them would be uh, non-Christian, definitely non-Jewish, but if they were here today, they'd be the non-Christian. And they would be um, very spiritual, curious and they would love truth. And this is one of my favorite things about them. The wise men pursued truth no matter where it took them and no matter what the cost. i mean, you just let this sink in. They weren't yet believers in the one true God, but here's what we did know about them. The wise men pursued truth no matter where it took them and no matter what the cost. And so I want to just share with you two things this Christmas that the wise men show us about the character of God. And I think they're just incredible encouragements for us today. Ready? Number one is this. Number one, the wise men show us that God is willing to save anyone and everyone who would worship Jesus. Okay, really, Pastor Michael, anyone and everyone? Like, I can think of some pretty terrible scumbags in my life. You're telling me if that person were to come to faith in Jesus, that somehow that God would forgive that person's sin? And I'm I'm here to tell you that the wise men teach us that without discrimination, no matter how vile or evil or disgusting you are, no matter how terrible you have been, no matter the atrocities you may or may not have committed, that the blood of Jesus is more than powerful enough to cover your sins. The hubris that it requires to say, I'm too far gone, far underestimates the power of the shed blood of this baby who would grow to be a man and die on the cross for your sins. So I just have incredible, incredible news for you. I don't care how far off you are. The wise men teach us that nobody is so vile or bad. Now let me show you this about the wise men. Um, The word wise men actually comes from a Greek word which means magi. Have you heard of the word magi? It's actually a Greek word. And and, uh, I want to read to you a little bit about these wise men. They were widely respected Persian astrologers from what we now know as modern day Iran. They were fortune tellers, Dream interpreters, politicians, well studied, knowledgeable of sacred writings from various faith traditions, and they were unrelenting pursuers of wisdom. They clearly knew the prophecies of the Old Testament, particularly prophecies from the book of Daniel, even. And here's what we find. These men responded so positively to the Jewish scriptures that they had high confidence in their reliability and that the Jewish Old Testament wasn't just preaching mythology. In fact, when they started to see the signs of the fulfillment of the Messiah coming uh, written in the Old Testament, they started to put two and two together, and clearly they had enough confidence in the Old Testament to believe that whatever these signs point to, the God who has inspired this book is reliable and trustworthy enough, to the point where they would travel over 900 miles, not knowing what they were going to find at the end of their destination but knowing that the God who is calling them has always been reliable and truthful and they were willing to pursue truth no matter how far it took them. Now by Jewish standards, I want to be clear with you, uh, many of you don't know Old Testament law, by Jewish standards, the magi or the wise men represent somehow the worst people. They would be considered the ones who are kind of unsavable. Let me actually bring you back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. Uh, and there's laws about this. In verse 10, I want to start reading this for you. Here's what it says. There should not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. Now, I want to be clear. The wise men were not doing this. But I want to show you that they are in the same category of what the Old Testament calls abomination as those people. Here's what he says. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or the one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. This is like thick language, isn't it? Like the Old Testament does not mince words. The wise men are these people. And what's so profound is that under Old Testament law, these wise men should have been executed. And yet God is doing something very different. He actually meets them in their sin as they look to the stars and they try to tell the future and read fortunes, et cetera. He actually meets them in the midst of their sin and then brings them personally to Jesus Christ. What I love about these guys' heart is, yeah, they didn't know any better, and yes, they were looking for truth wherever they found it, and yes, they knew about all different kinds of religions from all over the world, and they were some of the most learned men that you would ever meet, but there was something different about this Old Testament. There was something different about these signs, and they were willing to follow them 900 miles, ultimately, to the doorstep of Jesus. On on Sunday, we saw that God revealed in the birth narrative, he revealed his glory to these nobody shepherds. And now he's revealing the birth of his son to pagans who should be executed. And here's what we learn. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care if the Bible under the old covenant says your sins require execution. Thank God we live under a new covenant, amen? Amen. But even if you're that person, even if you're the worst of the worst, the blood of Christ has the power to forgive anyone's sin. And if God can forgive and love and draw the magi to himself, hear me, he can draw you to himself and forgive you through faith in Jesus. Number two, the wise men teach us this Christmas that those willing to submit to truth will find it if they look for it. I want you to hear me. Jesus could have revealed his divinity to Herod, And it would have made no difference. In fact, Jesus revealed his divinity to many of the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of them, the people. They still saw his unbelievable power, his power to heal people and do miracles and crazy things. And they still rejected him and denied him. It does not matter, some people, no matter how much evidence you give them, no matter what you show them, they could meet Jesus himself. They could literally watch Jesus raise people from the dead, grow limbs. It would not change their heart. But the wise men are different. The wise men are not hard-hearted. There's something about the wise men that they will follow truth no matter where it takes them, no matter what the cost. These wise men were different. They would travel 900 miles. And let's just be clear, they were pagan men doing pagan things, when they saw that God's word was leading in a direction that was reliable and true, they followed. They traveled, not knowing how this was gonna end, not knowing who they were gonna find, not knowing what the star ultimately would show them. They find themselves before a baby and all the prophecies began to make sense. And the spirit of God showed them that this truly is not just another baby, but the son of God who has come to save the world. And they believed. I want to read on Matthew chapter 2, verse 7. I want you to just listen to what the text says. Then Herod, he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Is Herod up to no good? The answer is yes. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, I love this, star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, you need to catch something. Are they at a manger? No, did I just blow up all your notions of Christmas forever? You're like, oh, my nativity sets are completely worthless. (laughs) Maybe. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Do you know why they rejoiced? These men who knew all the religions, all the ways, all the paths, all the probabilities, all the theories, when they met Jesus, they met truth. And all of those were put into perspective because this, not those, this was the Son of God, the one true God. God. And in this moment, as God led them to Jesus, every other false religion and perspective fell right into place. It says, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And this is the only thing that you can do when you come face to face with Jesus. And they fell down and they worshiped him. Then, opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We actually don't know how many wise men there were. Did you know that? Also, blow your mind again, right? People say there's three because there's three gifts. I don't know. It could have been 30 of them, and they all brought three gifts. It's like they put in their pool their money together and said, how about these things? I don't know, but here's what I do know. These men traveled very far. They wanted truth, and when they met Jesus, they found it. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The wise men pursue truth no matter where it took them, no matter what the cost. And this is my hope for anybody, believer or unbeliever, that when God reveals himself and when something is true, we would not be afraid of its inconvenience, but we would lean into it and run toward it. And this is what the scriptures say, that Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the way. He is the one true God. He is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. And then when you meet him personally, all other ideas just get put into the right perspective. And so this Christmas as believers, we get to come together and we get to remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We get to remember that Jesus was no victim by becoming a baby. Jesus willingly, willingly took on flesh But I want you to understand one thing about the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. The incarnation means nothing, to be honest, without the crucifixion. Because it's on the crucifixion where God the Father fulfilled the purpose for which Jesus was born, which is to pay the price for the sins of anybody who would trust in Jesus Christ. And honestly, the crucifixion doesn't mean much if Jesus just stayed dead. On the third day, Jesus was raised again from the, de- uh, from the dead as a declaration before all of hell and heaven and humanity and history that this is the Son of God with power. There is no other. Are you guys, like, pumped up for Easter? Anybody want Easter now? Or do you, yeah? What do you want more, Easter or warmth? You don't answer that. The answer is Easter. Okay, good. Thank you, Jesus, for a warm day today. I love, I love warmth. But all of this means nothing. Without the crucifixion and without the resurrection, Because that is the whole reason this baby came to die. We could just end Christmas Eve and just sing Silent Night and not talk about the point. The point is this, that God became flesh for a reason. And that was to pay the price for our sins because we had no ability to deal with our sin and to make that right. If there was another plan of salvation that could have worked, the genius mind of God would have come up with it but he didn't. The only plan that could plausibly work is if God himself became flesh and took our sins on his body in our place. And so I have just incredible good news of great joy for you this afternoon. The good news is honestly, good people don't go to heaven. It's not how it works. The people who get forgiveness and mercy and salvation and the spirit and hope are the ones who stop trying and trust in the good work of Jesus that he did on the cross in our place. Gosh, if good works could save us, the stress, we'd never make it. The Bible tells that nobody would ever be good enough. You'd be spinning for years and years and never ever get there. But Jesus Christ was good for us. The incarnation has purpose and meaning and beauty because of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so today, I don't know if you have ever understood that. I don't know if you've ever understood that the Bible does not teach that good people go to heaven, but you receive forgiveness of sins when you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know if anybody has ever told you that when you place your faith in Christ, when you ask him to forgive you and you ask him to save you, he doesn't just forgive you, he adopts you as his son or daughter. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He never forsakes you. He gives you the certainty of an eternal life in heaven with him. He gives you everything. He pours it out on you. He commits himself and covenants himself to you to transform you, yes, slowly, but more and more into the image of Jesus for the rest of your life. Like what an incredible good gift filled with great joy that God has in store for anybody when you meet Jesus who places their faith in him. And so this is just my simple desire for all of us. If you've never trusted in Christ, I just want to introduce you to Jesus Christ, God in the flesh who died for your sins and was resurrected from the dead, proving he's not just another dead guy. And he offers you salvation free. Those of us who have already trusted in Christ, we have an amazing God who has gone to unbelievable lengths and suffered more than we could possibly imagine to bring us our redemption and salvation. My prayer is that this Christmas, you are filled with genuine, sincere joy, awe, and gratitude at what God has accomplished for us through Jesus. If you've never trusted in Christ and today's the day you want to do that, there is no magical formula. Um, Any one of us up front would love to pray with you, encourage you, Pastor Craig, myself, any of the musicians, we'd love to talk with you, but there isn't a secret mantra you pray. God doesn't play games like that. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and save you. Tell him you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. Ask him to help you. And here's God's promise. Anybody who calls on the name of Jesus in faith, he will save. No games, no gimmicks. And he will give you his spirit and he will help you. I want to take a moment, I just want to spend some time praying for each one of you um, this afternoon. Uh, Christmas is a beautiful season, and it's a wonderful time to remember, and I know over the next 36 hours, there are gifts, and there are presents, and there is food. Many of you are thinking about all the meals you have to cook tonight, and uh, you're hoping Amazon Prime is open on Sunday morning, or not Sunday morning, tomorrow morning, and uh, I don't think it is, but yeah. Yeah. But I want to take a moment, I just want to pray for you, i want to encourage you, and I just want to say it is a joy to celebrate Christmas Eve with you, uh, to worship together, to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. So let's take a moment and let's pray together. Father, thank you for revealing at the right time, at the right place, through your word, the plan of redemption and reconciliation through Jesus. We agree with the angels and we say glory to God In the highest. Uh, Father, over the next 36 hours, we have the privilege to celebrate you and your plan of salvation with gifts and lights and food and family and so many other symbols. Through all of this, may you draw our hearts to Jesus. May you draw us to remember the first incarnation. Would you prepare us for the second which will surely become because you have never broken a promise once. So Father, Son, and Spirit, we worship you now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Ville Church. Amen.